Thank you, Dr. Hagen. You may be seated, everybody. In Miami, when you put the ghetto together with the hood, you get the good. And so we've always been the church and the good. Can I get an amen on that? Uh, what an honor to be here with such distinguished personnel. That would be the student body and other people like me, these guys. Um, it it ser seriously is uh, a high honor for uh, Robin and me to be with you today. Uh, I thank God for the ministry of North Central through the ages. Um, I thank God for the pastors, the missionaries, the businessmen and businesswomen, uh, the medical personnel, the educators, um, the laborers, the computer scientists that are around the world serving the Lord because of this university. And I believe the best is yet to come. I believe that your best days are in front of you, certainly not behind you. It is indeed a privilege to have my uh, wife with me, and she is, uh, we've only uh, been together for a short while, <clears throat> 45 years of marriage, and uh, we're going for an another 45, hallelujah. Uh, I have two very special friends here with me today, and I'll do this as quickly as possible. I know our time is limited, but um, he went to school with me for one semester. He was saved uh, in Guam by uh, a graduate of North Central Bible College. He was led to the Lord, I should say, in Guam. He was just coming out of Vietnam in the Navy, and uh, he got saved and filled the Holy Spirit in Guam. Uh, crazy life before that. And uh, <clears throat> Pastor Burke said, hey, uh, Wade, the only place in the world to go to for Bible training is North Central Bible College. So Wade thought this was the only place in the world because he didn't, he didn't know God or Jesus or he had never heard any of that except to cuss that, those names. And, and uh, so he thought this was the only Christian training center in the world. So he married Rosalind in San Diego and they moved here in the January term 1972. And I was his only friend. He and I got to be best friends in four months. But in April... Uh, it was a terrible cold day, and he put the key of his car into his mouth to try to get his books put together, and his lips froze to the key, and he had to rip his lips up to get his key out. Next morning, he said, I'm out of here. They went, they went back to Southern California, but he's still with God, praise God. But Dr. Goodall uh, is here today. Uh, he represents the Convoy of Hope and Focus on the Family. Would you stand, Dr. Goodall? One of my dearest friends in all the world. Everyone in the world has heard about dream centers. Not everybody has heard of the San Francisco City Impact. But if you were in both places, uh, Dream Center in L.A. and San Francisco Impact, City Impact in San Francisco, you would wonder which one is doing more for God because this uh, man and his team in San Francisco for the past 30-something years, have built one of the greatest inner-city missions in all the world. Uh, I, I was astounded. I was there again just a few weeks ago and uh, literally got back to my room that night and cried, uh, thinking about what God has uh, enabled uh, Roger Wong and that great team to do. And uh, he and Dr. Goodall are both here today to discuss with Dr. Hagen uh, how um, this school can be known as the Compassion School around the world. And so... Uh, Pastor Roger Wong, would you please stand to your feet? One of my dear friends, what a man of God he is. Thank you so much, Roger, 
Waouh, oui. So blessed to uh, be the father of four sons. My oldest son, John Fulton, is, as uh, Pastor Scott said, is in Tacoma, Washington. Pastors a great church there. My son, Rich Jr., uh, launched out of our church three years ago, downtown Miami, Vu Church. Some of you have heard of that. And uh, just a few weeks ago, they had 5,400 people in Sunday services. And I thought, we didn't launch a baby, we launched a monster anyway. Um, my third son, Graham, I'll tell you a little bit about him in a minute, but uh, my fourth son, Taylor, uh, launched a church at the same time his big brother did in Harlem. Uh, God gave us a facility there, and uh, the church is booming. God is growing his work world in a world-renowned time. I mean, uh, we are getting ready to launch another church in Miramar, 10 miles from our church uh, in Miami, 100,000 people, not one Pentecostal church. And we're going to launch the Cool Church in January by Pastor Terrence and Joanne Wilson. Cool stands for Created Out of Love. And so it's going to be a great time. But that's the best way to win people to Christ in America, to plant new churches. And we're into it in a big way. I want to talk to you as an individual student today. I won't be talking to this mass congregation. So when you hear me talk, and I'll try to do it as briefly as possible, uh, please receive this as just for you. Would you do that today? I'm not going to tell you about everything we've done and all the blah, blah, blah. I want to talk to you personally on this chapel day. And I, I believe that God wants to use this word to, to talk to you in an intimate way. Um, the scripture says in 1 Samuel chapter 16, verses 12 and 13, it says, So he sent for him and had him brought in. He was glowing with health. And had a fine appearance and handsome features. Then the Lord said, rise and anoint him. This is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. Today, for just a few moments, I want to talk to you on this thought. When God chooses you. I don't believe that one of you in this room are here by accident. I believe that every last one of you, no matter what college you're in, no matter what field of, of training you're in, you are here by divine design. This is the story of a young man named David at that time. Saul had sinned and God had said to Samuel the prophet, I want you to head off to Jesse's house. Uh, uh, in that home is the new king, and I want you to anoint him. Uh, Saul's day is over. Saul remained king for a long time, but his day was over. How many of you have ever met someone where you know the glory of the Lord had departed from them? You, do, you don't want to say that out loud, but you know their days. They're still standing in a place, but their day is over. I've prayed since I was a young man. God, don't ever let my day be over. Let my brain and my body and my day be over on the day I die. I don't want any of those three things going first. Are you, are you with me? I, I want all three to depart on the same day. And so the Bible says that 
Samuel goes to the house of Jesse. Now, Jesse was a rabbi, an esteemed man. But when the Samuel, the prophet of God, shows up at your door, you're shaken. The Bible says that the elders in that community, when they saw Samuel come in, they trembled. I mean, this was a day when men and women of God brought terror into people's lives. And he said to Jesse, I want to, I want to see who you got here. I you to take your sons and bring them before me. And so one by one, from Eli of the oldest, Jesse passes seven boys. And all of them, the Bible says, powerful, all of them warriors, good looking. They seem on the outside to have what a king would need to have. But one after another, the prophet says, not him, not him, not him, not him. The seventh one passes, and Samuel says, is that all you got? And Jesse's kind of trembling. They're all trembling. Everybody in the house, the boys are trembling. And then Jesse kind of, oh, wait. <laughs> yeah, wait. No, what? No, yeah, no, we, there's one more. One of the sons of our house, John Gray, just wrote a book called I'm Number Eight. And they pull young David in out of the sheep fields. He's been shepherding, uh, in training. No one even knows why he's been a shepherd. He's been in training to lead the people of God. And when he brings him in, David says, Samuel says, he's the one, because God says to Samuel, anoint him, he's the one. Today, I'm talking to you for a few moments on this thought, when God chooses you. Something about this story is very unique, and that is that King David was the forgotten one. Have you ever felt like you were forgotten? Have you ever felt like, why was I born? Every chance someone gets, they forget to call my name. Uh, we've got four boys, and the first boy, John Fulton, when he was born, I remember, you know, you'd, you'd kill yourself to get your kid to go to sleep, and then we would lay in bed for 10 minutes, and we wouldn't hear him, so we would run in and wake him up because we thought he had died. And then he'd scream again and take us another. I mean, we were so into him. You just every two seconds, feeding, burping, you know, changing, whatever. Second one, Richie, not so much, but still into it so many. And then Graham was sick a lot, and so he kept us up all night. And finally, when the fourth one, Taylor, came along, you know, we would pretty much put him in his room with some salad in there. I mean, there were just, there wasn't, we, we did, there were so many sons. And sometimes I wonder if maybe this was it. I mean, Dad forgets his eighth son. Dad forgets him. What? How? What? Hmm. This was a part of David's life. He felt as if he was the forgotten one. After he was anointed king, he then kills the giant. And Saul hasn't come in to take care of his mental disorders by playing his harp 
And Saul tries on several occasions to kill David. And finally, David has to flee the palace. And he finds himself by himself in the cave of Adullam. And from that cave, he cries in Psalm 13, 1 and 2. He says, how long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Here he is in a scary place by himself in a cave and he cries to God and says, how long are you going to forget me? God, have you forgotten me? Not just his family, but now he feels as God himself has forgotten him. Anybody else in scripture that you can think of that was forgotten like that? It was David's great, 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 great grandson, Jesus. Remember in Luke chapter 2, it's Passover season and the family takes Jesus and the other kids up to Jerusalem for Passover and they're coming home and they've been on the road a full day and mom goes, Jesus? 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 And they were, Jesus, now, really, seriously, think about it. How did they lose God? I mean, think about it. That's an incredible thought. The Bible says if they go back to Jerusalem for three days, they look for him and finally find him in the temple. My thing is, hey, this is God. Why didn't you go to the temple on the first day? That's where he's going to be hanging. And then when she finally finds him, she goes, why have you put this thing? Why were you put us through this? Isn't that just like a parent? The kid had nothing to do with it. But somehow it was the parent's fault, but they blame it on the kid. Why did you put us through this? Jesus, I was just standing here. I was in the temple. Huh. Mm. It was Jesus who hung on a cross. Sometime later, and he screamed out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me, forgotten me? You know, we live in a nation today that is becoming known as a nation that forgets their children. Last year, the year 2017, 43 children, infants and preschoolers were left in the back seat of a car by mom and dad while they shopped or ran errands and they died of heat stroke. One little baby died because she sat in the car hot, locked with the windows rolled up for six hours while mom had her hair done. Uh, this has become such a phenomenon in our nation that psychologists have tagged it with uh, the, the whole issue as the forgotten child syndrome. Isn't that amazing that when we don't want to blame someone, we come up with a syndrome. The kid had nothing to do with being forgotten, but the parents need a way out, and so they forgot their kid, and so it's the forgotten child syndrome. Let me tell you something. I know a lot of alive 20-year-old people and 30-year-old people that are suffering from the forgotten child syndrome as well. Let me tell you today, no matter what you have come through, you have come to the right place. You will not be forgotten hereafter. I believe with all my heart, you're in the place that God has ordained for you to be. Something else about David, and I, I don't want to get 
risky here, but I'm going to go ahead and do it. King David was the forgotten one, but he was also the questionable background one. Um, you, want to, you want to ask yourself, why was he forgotten to begin with? How do you pray seven boys and you forget the last? What's that about? Now, you're not going to find this discussed in the scripture, but if you go into the Midrash and, and uh, other places of Jewish rabbinical writings, there's great arguments over there. There, there is no concept of original sin in the Old Testament necessarily. But we see David himself say in Psalm 51 in his, in his prayer of repentance, uh, he says in verse 5 that he said, uh, Behold, I was shapened in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Now, just think about that. I mean, surely we're going to, now all the Christian writers were talk about original sin. I get, I get all that. I get that. But at the time, do you think that David is thinking about original sin? He says, in sin, my mother can see me. I mean, isn't sex and marriage the way to go? I mean, didn't God, you know, the devil did not make sex up. The, the devil could, could, see, this is why I follow God. The, the devil can't create something that marvelous. All he can do is take what God has created and corrupt it. That's all. He's a corrupter. You've heard of disruptors. He's only a corrupter. And, 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 and many rabbis believe that it was on his mind that, that I was the, the child on the outside. That Mrs. Jesse wasn't faithful to Mr. Jesse. One rabbi says that her name was Nichevet, David's mother, and that's literally what was thought in the family. That's what this rabbi says. <laughs> they would have David come in, the whole family would eat at one. Now, this is legend on the part of the rabbis. They would sit at one table, and David would sit over here by himself, all right, purposely, because Jesse thought. He was the child on the outside. This is legend, I understand. But the point is, this is, was, has been discussed in historical Old Testament settings. What they have finally come up with is that Mrs. Jesse was totally pure. It was a case of mistaken identity. Kind of like, do you remember the story of Jacob wanting to marry Rebecca? And he has to work for seven years for her father, in his case, he really was her old man. You know, I'm just saying, because Laban says, you got to work for seven years to marry Rebecca. So he does. And on the night of the wedding, the Bible says that Laban does a little switcheroo in there and slips into the wedding chamber the older sister, Leah. And when Jacob, when, when Jacob goes in to consummate the marriage, it's dark and it's festive and hallelujah. <laughs> and the Bible says that Leah was the weak-eyed one. 
Now, that would be a King James way of saying just flat ugly. I mean, I, I'm just saying, I'm, I know she had, I'm sure she had wonderful inner qualities and I, I'm sure, no, a fabulous Christian personality, but she was just scary. In fact, when Jacob, when Jacob woke up the next morning, that's where that term, cheapers creepers, where'd you get those people? I think that's where that came. Anyway, I'm just saying, he says, what, is, what have you done here? You switched it. What's it? He goes, hey, wait, wait, we have a custom. We have a custom. We don't marry off a younger sister until her older sister has been married. If you want to marry Rebecca, you'll have to work another seven years, which he did. You know the story. That's what rabbis are saying happened in this case. So Mrs. Jesse Nichevit really is faithful, but David was the one raised with a questionable background. You know anybody else in scripture that was raised with a questionable background? David's great, 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 great grandson, Jesus. Think about it. You know, all the kids would be together. Talking about their families and talking about dads and say, uh, Jesus, tell us about your dad. Well, uh, well, you know, Joseph, I mean, Joseph, uh, he's my dad and all. I mean, I love him. But like he's not my dad. Really? And this is like they're six or seven years old. So they, there's no puberty involved. So they don't thoroughly connect. But they go, really? Well, who is your like real dad? Well, uh, God. You can imagine these little boys around Jesus. And of course, they're all young. So, okay. We love God. Okay. Sure. But now let's go into puberty. You're, you're 13, 14 years, and you, you got that story still going. And so guys are, hey, uh, so Jesus, uh, tell us about Joseph again. He's not, well, I mean, he's not, you know, he's not, he's, I love him. He's my dad, but he's not my real dad. Really? Well, who is your real dad? You guys, I've tried to tell you. God. Now, Jesus, wait, what? Uh, like, the God? Yeah. Okay, uh, how'd that, can you, uh, well, I'm just telling you what mom said, okay? So mom told me, and I am God, so I know too, but I'm just saying, um, she was like 14 one day, And she was standing there. And all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit. And that's it. That's, that, that's exactly why she was standing there. Okay, we got to run. I'm, I'm, you know, there, there came a point where there, you're nuts. Questionable background. Have you ever been there before? Have you ever been that person who everybody else had a question about you, about where you came from? How did you get here? Well, that's a long story. At that point, usually people don't even want to go into the story. 
But the truth is today, friends, you are not here by accident. Whatever the enemy has tried to use to put you down, you're, you know you're the forgotten one. You know you're the one with the questionable back on. I'm here to tell you, you are a child of God. You were called before the foundations of this world were made. God knew your name and he called you to be here in this fall semester at North Central University. Because what's most important it's not the fact that David or Jesus were forgotten. It's not the fact that they had questionable backgrounds. What's most important is that King David was the anointed one. He was the one chosen by God. On that day when his father finally called him in, the Bible says that God said to Samuel, anoint him. He is the one. And friends, when God chooses you, it doesn't matter what everybody else says about you. It doesn't matter what people are saying behind you back because you know God chose me. I'm here for a purpose, for a design. I'm going forward in God. We have a son named Graham, and I didn't speak much about him going in. But Graham, when he was six months old, contracted spinal meningitis. That's a long story. I won't go into it. I was on the East Coast. We lived on the West Coast at that time. And I came in from a meeting that night and Robin said, Rich, uh, Graham um, went into grandma seizures this afternoon on the way to the hospital because he's so sick. And he died for 12 minutes. And the doctor's did cut downs on his ankles and now has shunts in his head and he's in a deep coma. They don't believe he's going to live, honey. She's sobbing on the phone. And I was taken quickly to the Orlando airport. And I caught an all-night flight back to Seattle. I prayed all the way home that God would spare my son. And I walked into that hospital about 8 o'clock the next morning. Robin had sat next to his side all night long with Wires coming in and out of his nose and body everywhere. This little guy is being helped to breathe. And the doctor came in and she said to Robin and me, you need to pray if you're religious people that your son will die. Because if he should live, he will be deaf and blind and so severely held back physically that he will lay in a crib at 40 years old and drool, a vegetable. And I looked at her and I said, Doctor, uh, I've never prayed a, a prayer for someone to die in my life. I can't do that. I don't care if this was the most wretched person who ever lived. I'd pray for God would save him, heal him, set him free, deliver him. We came from Jesus who came to give us life and life more abundant. I don't care how I can have this son. I want this son. He's not going to die on my watch unless God calls him home. And over the next six days, we waited and God brought him back to life and got him off of all those ventilators. And 16 days later, we took him home. And. Part of Graham's salvation has been three brothers that have beat him up and he has beat them up and yelled at them. And uh, he's been raised a normal life because of his brothers. And today he's 
31 years of age, and he has his driver's license. He would never, never drive my car. One time, uh, I, I got in the car with him. He's not allowed to drive anybody. I mean, he got the, he got the license. I mean, only in Miami. I'm just saying, but, but we're in the car, and, and literally, I just said, we're driving, and there were so many potential, I mean, just, I could, the sensitive, you guys, it would be like waiting for the atomic bomb to drop on your head. That, I mean, we're just inching along. I said, Graham, we're driving, and there's just cars, and I just went, Graham, could you just stop right here, right here? Right, well, now, Dad? Yeah, right in this, right now, in this moment. So he slammed the ring. I said, now, could you just put it in park? He said, okay. I mean, there's a million cars all just flying by. He says, I said, this has been an excellent drive. Turn it off. Okay. And so I said, now, what I'm going to do is, I, you know, I just wanted to drive so bad I can't stand it. Would you come around to my side? And that? He goes, okay, Dad. So he opens the people flying around the door, and, and we walked around, and, we got, and somehow I got home. I'm just he'll never drive my car. I I'm, I'm just want you to know. But he's got his driver's license graduated from high school. He's a freak on the computer, social media. He, he's, he's, he's written and produced four rap albums. Uh, I'm just telling you. And all of his brothers are preachers, and that's what he wants to be. But he says, I got, I got a word, Dad. I got a word. So I'll give him the mic. And he goes, you know, I died, and I came back to life. And that's all he's got. I go, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta be able to go more. So I've got him praying now. He's, he, the only chances he gets to pray uh, are like this one. Can we just roll that real quickly? Just real quick. This was recent one of our services on Tuesday night, our young adult meeting. Here's the deal. Graham was forgotten by a lot of people. And he had this background. It's too long to tell. But even Graham is anointed by God. The anointing makes all the difference. And when you get back to your room at night after going to the second shift to work like I used to do and getting it at one o'clock and feeling like this will never end and I'm not even supposed to be here and it's not going to turn around. God says, no, I've got you here. Just stay under my protective care. Keep on keeping on. I've anointed you, Rich. And that's what he's saying to you this morning. I've anointed you, Sue. I've anointed you, Shaniqua. I've anointed you, Melvin. I've anointed you. You are my son, you are my daughter. I have a purpose for your life. Don't let the devil talk it out of you this year or any year. You're here on purpose for a purpose. I want you to bow your head with me. Lord Jesus, and could you play some traveling music while I'm getting ready to pray? Lord, I just pray in this moment that these precious men and women who've come from everywhere, some have come from outside of this country. 
because they felt a drawing by the Holy Ghost. Oh, sure, we had recruiters in that area. Sure, they saw something online. But then after that, there was a drawing to North Central University. And Lord, some of them arrived here this weekend thinking, I'm not, I think, I hope this, I hope. May they know today that when God chooses you, the game is over for the devil. God is going to use every man and every woman in this room. And Lord, may they not leave too soon until you've had your perfect way in their life. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Amen. Let's all stand, if we can, to our feet. We're going to open up uh, the altars. Uh, You can linger around as long as you would like to pray and to worship God. Uh, Powerful time. Uh, And I will tell you this. When I was a 17-year-old freshman in college, just like this, 10 days, 10 days into college, I was already plotting quitting. 10 days in. How I could save face and get out of it. I just got attacked on every side. But God gave me a, a faculty member, a chapel experience, a message that pulled me through that conflict. And so that was a lie. My life would have never panned out had I walked away after 10 days. And I know we're fresh into this. And it's almost like the enemy wants to come in like a a dog and mark its spot as quick as possible back on your life to pull you back to some place that you're seeking freedom from. I just want you to know that this word today was for you. Um, You can stay and pray. These altars are open. Uh, the pastors that are here, we're going to, Anderson Chapel is right, you go out the door, make a left, and uh, the luncheon will be right next door. But man, just soak it in, keep that in your heart, man. Thank you, Pastor Rich, uh, for sharing that. Can we thank him again? Great word, great word. God bless you. You can stay and pray. Worship team will lead us out. Oh, Lord.